And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna, our Notre Dame-Alabama preview edition of the podcast. We've got special guest Chip Long coming up in a minute here, former Notre Dame offense coordinator, now at Tulane, uh, played against Alabama this year, is very knowledgeable of the Crimson Tide program in Nick Saban. Um, I think you'll have a, a it'll be a fairly enlightening interview on, on some of the things that to look for on Friday and then also sort of his time at Notre Dame. But Matt, I guess is we're pretty much done with media access for Notre Dame this week and Alabama. What um, have you have you changed the uh, your your personal tenor of this game at all in the last seventy two hours? Not really. Um, it was good to, to hear from people inside the Goog because um, they live a very isolated existence, especially right now, as they should. Uh, if they were listening to this podcast and others like it, um, why even show up, right? Like, I mean, it, to, to hear different players over the past couple of days give their takes on the underdog status was interesting. I mean, you have Kyron Williams saying, like, you know, we've been underdogs our whole life, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, we got that chip on our shoulder. And then you've got Liam Eikenberg who's like, did Alabama get blown out the last time they were in the title <laughs> game? Which probably didn't go over so well on social media, but what does? Um, so it's been <laughs> interesting to hear um, the differing perspectives. Good to hear from coordinators uh, you know, who we haven't gotten to speak to publicly uh, all year. Um, and look, the more times Jeremiah Uso-Karamoa can talk, the better, because um, that guy's a quote machine. He's awesome. Yeah, no, he is very much like he will be endorsing Dos Equis when he's in the NFL. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, you mentioned the social media part. Clark Lee was up on Tuesday and described Devonta Smith as a football player. Like, and apparently people weren't up in arms about this. And I'm just like, guys, are, are, have we all turned into Clemson here? Are we all being offended by every single little thing? Because, um, you know, certainly the way Clark was describing as he meant him, he, Devonta Smith is the platonic ideal of a football player. Not uh, he is only a guy out there in shoulder pads and a helmet, but it, yeah, it's I don't know. Getting into this more, it's I mean the challenge is the same. I don't I don't. I've definitely have covered big games where I feel differently at the end of the week than I do at the beginning of the week. I think for this one, I feel this pretty much the same today as I did when the bowl announcements came out. Um, that this is a hell of a mountain for Notre Dame to climb. Uh, and the ascent necessary has not lessened at all um, since they came out. I mean, there's a reason this is the largest point spread in college football playoff history at 19 and a half, 20 points. And it's, uh, we can, I'm sure we'll be sussing why that is for the next six to nine months um, if, if Alabama wins the game, but I still am in the camp that like I would rather see Notre Dame test themselves in this kind of matchup than not. I don't, you know, winning the Orange Bowl against Florida or A and M might be valuable for offseason narrative. Uh, another word that really is like a trigger for Notre Dame players this week, but 
it's not, it doesn't give you an honest assessment of where you are as a program. So like, let's, let's see it on Friday. Um, whatever it happens, I just, I just want to see how it shakes out. Right. And you know, you'll, you'll hear this from Chip in our interview in a little bit. And he touched on something that, that others around the program and who have played in these big games have mentioned to me in my conversation with them, which is they just have you know, this big game narrative uh, it's become kind of their own worst enemy because you see, you saw it at the Clemson game their last time out. You saw it at the Clemson game in 2018. Uh, they just have a habit of letting these games get away from them when one bad thing happens. And they can't let that happen. They need to punch first the way they did in the first Clemson game this year. And they need to be able to take a punch, which frankly, they've not really shown they've been able to do. And that's not just on the playoff stage. That's at Michigan last year. That's at... Uh, Miami in 2017. I mean, when it gets bad, it gets bad. And it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So uh, whether they want to embrace this narrative or ignore this narrative, and again, we've heard players give different takes on this. I I don't know what the right answer is. I think the right answer is to go out there and and play your best and not come out there saying, hey, we just had a bad day, which is what they've said the last two times they've lost to Clemson because no one wants to hear that anymore. When you have a lot of bad days on this stage, that's not a bad day. That becomes who you are. And so, look, they're 20-point underdogs for a reason. Um, I'm not saying it's acceptable by any means for them to lose this game by 20, but they play – if they lose by 10 and they, they leave it all out there and don't turn the ball over, look, there are no moral victories at, at this stage, but I, I think it will go a long way toward um, changing the narrative a little bit for whatever that's worth. I mean – Better than beating AM or Florida or whomever in another bowl game, that's for sure. Yeah, no, and, and Chip talked about this. So let's get into that interview now because um, I think he had some good insight on some of the second quarter troubles that Notre Dame has had in these big spots before, uh, among many other things. So let's get to former Notre Dame offensive coordinator Chip Long. Welcome to the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna, today's special guest, uh, a man that knows Alabama football pretty well and Notre Dame too. Former Notre Dame offense coordinator Chip Long, now the OC at Tulane. Um, Chip, thanks for making some time for us this week. And I guess just first off, you know, you know, you know, Alabama is really, really well. Having grown up in the state, spent some time with Saban, like, and played them again, played against them this year when you were at Tennessee, like. What is what is this team like? I mean, give give us sort of a nuts and bolts scouting report on what uh, what the what this Crimson Tide group presents. Yeah, I mean they're 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 a great football team. Obviously, you know I think what separates them this year probably more so in the past is just their veteran leadership. You know, somewhat like Notre Dame, they got a bunch of guys who decide to stay and finish out their senior year, and you know Najee and Smitty and Mac and. And that O-line, um, you know, it's really gelled together to form a special unit. Um, just as much as that, in my opinion, is any th- time else with Alabama football. It's a veteran team with, with great leadership, you know. Um, obviously, losing their center was a big hit in the championship game. Kind of, you know, somewhat with Notre Dame losing um, Jared. But just overall, I think the big difference in this team and you know, the past Alabama teams, it didn't quite win the national title, just their overall leadership. And, you know, you can just tell by the way they execute. And no game's too big. They don't get rattled. and just keep coming right back at you as much as anything on offense. They are who they are. Um, you know, they're obviously the most talented team in the country pretty much every year. But 
did anything really surprise you um, from when you faced them game day but from, from the preparation to, to once you took the field against them? No, not really. I mean, they had been blowing just about everybody out by the time they got to us. I was just really impressed with just the size of everybody from their offensive line to their running back. Um, you just don't want to appreciate that until you see them up close in person and seeing your guys try to tackle those guys and just the, you know, the pounding they take for four quarters. I mean, you got to be able to go at them for 60 minutes. And, you know, I think that's just what's as impressive to me as anything, just how they execute such a high level um, playing and play out. You know, Chip, one thing I want to ask you about was something Nick Saban said earlier in the year about, you know, you don't really win on defense anymore. You win on offense. And as somebody who knows Nick and how he's sort of evolved over the years, like what's what's changed about that group? Because I, I think that they've, you know, you went from the Tua group and like maybe the dynasty's coming down a little bit to now that, you know, they're sitting here averaging 50 points a game. It just seems like Nick has been able to reinvent things over and over again down there. How does how does he make that happen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it's just the, the new age of tempo and the RPO and just, you know, the great quarterbacks you're starting to see just come flowing up the last decade. I mean, really, the teams that I can think of, other than LSU and 11, who's beaten Alabama, running a pro style, you know, grinded out, has probably been that team, and they won that on defense, eleven to nine or something, and then got shut out in the championship game. Every other team has been tempo with amazing quarterback play, amazing, you know, trickery balls bouncing off helmets in the other team's hands, and you know he sees that, and he's seen it every week. So you got to adjust, and then with the RPO and the lacks of rules to help the offense. You know, he sees it. You got to be able to score points and score a lot of points to to win in the playoffs. I mean, the last few championship games, I mean, it hadn't been the winners once scored over 40 points. So, I mean, he's a really smart guy. And, you know, I think the way he's able to keep reinventing himself is just a lot of his assistants are getting head coaching jobs. Hmm. So he's bringing in new guys, new ideas that still adapt to the, the way he wants his program ran. And, you know, he just slightly adjusted over the times. and But you still see a lot of the old Alabama in this offense being able to pound you and with their deadly play action and being able to get the ball on the perimeter and be able to play fast, be able to play in a phone booth. You know, it has all aspects that they've been good at over the years in, in one group, it seems like. Chip, I mean, someone familiar with the personnel on both sides of the ball, like what what's their name need to do? What do they need to happen to, to make this a competitive game and give themselves a puncher's chance? First of all, I think Notre Dame's going to be fine. I mean, they've got to treat it like one of their normal games, do what they do and pound the ball, be able to set edges, um, take care of the ball. And then when you get a one-on-one opportunity, you got to make it in these games. And that's, you know, that's part of it and everything. But, you know, I think if you go back and just watch all the games, even when I was there, that we struggled in the game was almost over at halftime. They keep it close at halftime and make it in the fourth quarter. I like Notre Dame's chances. Um, but you got to be able to withstand the initial onslaught and be able to hang with them and hang tight. And then just when get the game in the fourth quarter and see what happens. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, I was interested if, if you feel like there's any significance to the fact that Notre Dame got Clemson the first time around, um, even without Trevor Lawrence, or even going back to, you know, when you were here, the two Georgia games that got into the fourth quarter, and yeah, Georgia won the game, but I would think that Notre Dame would take some confidence out about like, yeah, you can, you can get to the fourth quarter against a team that you feel like might have more material. Is that is that kind of experience important, even if Alabama has all this playoff experience on its side too. I think so. I mean, we were really young team in 2018. This is an older team. And, you know, you take out that second quarter they had in the ACC championship game, you know, you'd like to think it's a, it's a game, but you know, Notre Dame's got to make plays. Ian's got to make plays. The teams that beaten Alabama, he's had amazing quarterback play and guys have shown up in the one-on-ones and made tremendous plays when their opportunity was there. I mean, it's not just this game. It's the last 10 years. I mean, they hadn't lost many games. And you just got to have that step up in that moment to to make it happen and be able to do it for four quarters. It can't just be one time. Where, where do you think Ian Book's grown the most since uh, that last playoff appearance two years ago to now? Oh, I think it's just his growth and just overall knowledge. He's been in that situation before. He's seen it all. Um you know, there's no substitute for experience when it comes to that. Um, so I, I think he's a totally different quarterback from that time. You know, when you were here, you were working with Clark Lee as the defense coordinator. He's obviously on to Vanderbilt whenever Notre Dame season wraps up. Um, what you, you guys are both, you know, fairly young coaches. Um, how how do you think like he sort of improved over the years here? What what makes him difficult to deal with as a defensive coordinator? Um, you know, whether it comes to scheme or just sort of his approach. Like, I was curious if you give some some coaching insight onto what makes him a little bit unique. Yeah, I think Clark does a great job of making you earn it. You know, um, he knows when he's facing a great quarterback or if he's not. And when he's not, he's gonna make you earn it. And usually, you make a lot of mistakes. Um, I think he does a great job of getting you into second and long, and then he has a, a wonderful third down package and but I think just that whole tree they come from they make you do a great job of you know not giving up big plays not keeping everything in front of you and really making you earn it for 60 minutes and nothing comes easy you know um, I think he's done always done a good job making adjustments and taking away what you do well and you know a team might come out with some something new the first series but they always seem to kind of glue it back together as the game goes on. You know, it's just always a sign of a really good coach when you're able to make things like that happen. Chip, when you got to Notre Dame after the 2016 season, obviously there was 
a bit of a program reboot. They're coming off a four and eight season. Since then, they they won thirty three games in your three years there, and they're in the playoff again this year. Uh, Pete and I have had this this discussion on this pod a couple times where. Talent for talent, the roster might be worse than it was in 2016 when they won only four games. I mean, to what do you attribute all that success um, within the program uh, that, that, that kind of makes up for that, uh, where they've gotten their screws right, so to speak? Well, yeah, I think the biggest adjustment they made was Coach Kelly hiring uh, Matt Bayless and totally transforming the way they train, the way they work. And, you know, as long as Matt's there, I think Notre Dame's always going to be in great hands. He does a tremendous job and building the confidence and strength in those guys. You don't see a lot of injuries like he did in the past. And guys are able to play through November with strength and getting stronger and, and not trying to just make it across the finish line. I think the overall depth uh, has gotten better. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a lot of just staying the course has helped. Notre Dame, not really going from one side or the other. But I think just the addition of Matt's been a huge transition just for the overall makeup for Notre Dame football. Yeah, I guess I may have a similar question about Alabama since you've, you've spent time with Saban down there. Like, obviously, they've got the, the strength program figured out, even though I have a, a new coach in that department this year. But, like, what, are, what aside from just having great players, I mean, the investment in facilities down there, what – what makes Alabama maybe a little bit different from either a facility standpoint or an infrastructure standpoint, or just sort of like what makes them as durable as they have been? I mean, it's everything. They do everything well. I mean, they got great players that play extremely hard and are well coached. Um, you know, I think what separates Alabama the last 10 years is what they do mentally with all the sports psychiatrists, all the way they help their players. Um, in all aspects, and then just their mindset of recruiting 24 hours a day, 365 a year, mm-hmm. and having a plan and executing that plan year in and year out, and just the ability that Saban is able to keep pushing himself is just unbelievable how they're able to do it year in and year out playing in that conference. Chip, you spent this season in the SEC with Tennessee. You were last in that league 11 years earlier with Arkansas. What are the differences? How much has the SEC evolved? I know Alabama in particular has evolved offensively, but how's the league as a whole evolved uh, between your two stints in that league? You know, like you said, offensively and quarterbacks. Um, you know, when I was at Arkansas, it was still, you know, size and power and coming at you. Great defense, great defensive line, great corners that would press you up and not give you anything free access. Uh, it's still there, but, you know, with the advent of – Tempo and RPO has really opened things up that, you know, you can't – if you're going to fight it, you're going to lose a slow death, so you might as well join it. And just being able to spread the whole field and make teams defend every inch of it has probably been the biggest difference. But, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, it's a they still pride themselves on their defense and, and being able to hang in there and still try to find ways to win it with defense. It's interesting. When you went down and spent some time with Saban, like – what did you try to pick up from him? Um, maybe he was trying to pick your brain a little bit too since you were up at Notre Dame at the time. But like, what uh, what's the takeaway from spending time with him sort of hanging out in his office and just sort of talking shop? You know, it was just I was just blown away with the energy and the passion. You had a guy who's won six national championships, 68 years old, and just as 
into asking you about RPOs and, and you would wonder to believe and just the, the overall passion he has for the game and for his players and, you know, to constantly keep that machine running was really amazing to me. There's a sense out there that no one could catch Alabama or Clemson, but before that there was a sense that no one could catch Alabama. Obviously Clemson has, has done a decent job of that, winning two titles in the last couple of years. What do you think Dabo Sweeney has done in Death Valley to, to kind of mimic uh, this, this other Goliath out there with Alabama? And what can Notre Dame, what can anyone else do, Ohio State, Oklahoma, whomever, to, to maybe get to that plane? Uh, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but over extended period of time. You know, I don't know. Dabo does a great job of being himself. You know, he recruits to a certain type, and they've done a great job building their defense. They've done a great job building their offense around great quarterback play the last 10 years. And, you know, I mean, you just – you get a quarterback, you got a chance. And I think they've done an outstanding job of that, surrounded by the way they, you know, build their defense, the way they've recruited year in and year out. And you had a great quarterback and you can recruit, you got a chance. And I think to add that with how they've played defense, you know, this Alabama defense isn't the – Clemson 18 defense. And so, you know, Notre Dame people should be confident that they should be able to move the ball on them, in my opinion. Um, but it just goes back to, I think, same thing with Alabama, the way they've recruited quarterbacks and developed them and the way they just overall recruit their whole program has really set those guys apart from everybody else. Is that, I mean, Matt was asking you sort of about the change from SEC from your first go to your second go. I mean, is maybe that the biggest difference? Like, to win a title, you got to have a, a Burrow or a Tua or a Lawrence now. Whereas I feel like in the past, like Jake Coker could get it done. Um, you know, AJ McCarum could get it done. Like now, it feels like that's not but necessarily Jake, the Jake case Coker anymore. Jake Coker was able to do that with Derrick Henry. Yeah, pretty good running back. Calvin Ridley's. You know, you got to have. It helps having a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. You're in the game. You got a chance, but you got to have a supporting cast too of great players and just mm-hmm. just that. Um, you gotta have a receiver who can get it done. You gotta have maybe a back, an O line that can hold up against a defensive front. And then you have to have a defensive front and, and corners, in my opinion, to, to get you there and to give you a chance. Um, but it's, you can't go in there with the weaknesses or they'll find and exploit it. You know, I mean, LSU, they were just okay on defense last year, but nobody could stop the offense. And, you know, you punt twice or kick a field goal, that's as good as going <laughs> getting knocked out on four downs, you know. Um, you got to be able to score touchdowns. you got to be able to score them at a high rate. Chip, what's uh, – take us through the last couple of weeks. I mean, you got hired at Tulane a couple of weeks ago, and then you were at a very, you know, different spot. At least, you know, I can't recall a, a coordinator getting hired and then coaching uh, in the bowl game that soon. What's this <laughs> transition period – and like for you, you're talking to us from Knoxville right now. So obviously the, the move's still in progress, especially during the pandemic. But what, what's, right. uh, what's the last month been like? No, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was a lot of fun just to get back out there and get coaching and calling. Lucky for me, my my college roommate was the previous offensive coordinator here. So he had run a lot of the similarities of, of my offense. Now the terminology is different. That's probably the hardest thing to learn in a week. But, you know, it was fun just getting out there and, getting out there with the guys to me it was like an extra spring ball that helped me a lot be able to see these guys practice 10 times and see them on game day um was really a big thing for me and that's why i wanted to do it 
Uh, because who knows with COVID if we have spring ball. So it was just an opportunity to get to know these guys as, as well as I can before we head into the next season. I was kind of interested, like, as you go into Tulane, how you sort of look like, what did you get out of your, your time at Notre Dame? Like, what was the biggest, like, things you learned, um, things you, you know, would maybe like, okay, I could tweak this at my next stop or change that. Like, what what were the big takeaways from your three years up here? No, I love my three years up there. We got around some great players. You know, obviously we came in, everybody's hungry to win that first year. And after coming off four and eight disaster and being able to, to flip it that next year and then lose all those great players and get to the playoffs the next year, you know, it was a testament to those, those kids and how bad they wanted to win. And then the next year, be able to go 11 and two, um, going through a lot of, you know, injuries and whatnot. It was a, a testament to those guys. And I loved every second of it. And, you know, obviously there've been some things I love to have changed, but, you know, I wouldn't have traded anything in the world not to been there the last three years. What what's your biggest kind of takeaways from from working with Brian Kelly for three years? It was great. Now, Brian was was outstanding to me. Um, he let us run our offense, didn't interfere at all. Believed in the quarterback change in eighteen, and you know was able to be able to keep the thing running. Um, you know, I think he does a great job as a CEO. The entire program doesn't get too high or too low. It seemed like when I was there, I couldn't testament to anything before that, but. He was great to work for. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And so I guess as, as you watch on Friday, what uh, what are the biggest things you're going to be looking for? Is I, I guess it will be 3 p.m. local your time if you're uh, in central time zone. Like what's... What are the biggest things you want to see? Like, all right, th- the game's going to go this way because I see X, Y, and Z out of Notre Dame or because I see this out of Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I think both teams are going to play well. Um, I do. Um, you know, I think it's going to be back and forth. Hopefully it's back and forth in the first half. And if it's close in the first half, I think it's going to be a great game, you know, on both sides of the ball. 
but I, I'm really interested to see those first two quarters. Um, just because in the past, I was always the game kind of got away from us from Miami to Clemson before Michigan before half, really. And um, if it's close there, then I think Notre Dame's got a great shot. What's the key there as someone who's you know been in the trenches, been on the sideline, been on the headset? I mean, when a big play happens or, or something bad happens, like you said, it, historically in Notre Dame in these games, it, it kind of spirals out of control. Like what? What's the commotion yeah, just like? Don't yeah. add upon it. Don't don't make it. Yeah, don't make it worse. And you've been in these situations. I mean, I think a good thing for Notre Dame, it won't be a packed house. It won't be a crazy crowd you know it's gonna be a stale environment with veteran guys um i think that that helps them and i think it'll just don't don't make it worse take care of the ball right and then when you get your one-on-one opportunities you got to make it it's find a good groove in the run game get a nice push protect ian and then ian make plays with his legs and you know extend plays and do what he's done his whole career all right. Well, Chip, thanks for uh, making some time for us. I'm bummed that Notre Dame's not in the Sugar Bowl because you, you would guess. definitely be doing New Orleans and we would be doing this podcast <laughs> at a bar somewhere. So uh, until we until we talk again, thanks for uh, making some time for us today on the Shamrock, everybody. All right, guys. That was former Notre Dame offense coordinator Chip Long. Uh, Matt, I guess what was the most interesting takeaway from that from that interview? Um, yeah, for, for a guy who had – Success, at least on paper, uh, doesn't have any bad ill or any ill will toward his former employer. Seems to be in a good spot right now. Seems to be a very busy man right now, uh, juggling the job transition, having just called the bowl game for, for Tulane. But um, seems to think very highly of Ian Book. Obviously thinks highly of Alabama as a guy who, who was on the, the receiving end of one of Alabama's many uh, beatdowns this season in the SEC. Um, but he was a little bit higher, I think, on Notre Dame than I would have anticipated going in um, to this game. Yeah, no, I mean, it's. I think that he points out the right trouble spot, though. Like, if Notre Dame can survive the second quarter, then that would be indicative of a Clemson 2015, Florida State 2014, Georgia 2017, Georgia 2019 kind of game where it's going to go into the fourth quarter. Notre Dame may know what everyone knows, that Alabama has more raw material. But if you can just sort of survive Alabama's first counterpunch, because, like, for how good Clark Lee and, and Tommy Reese are uh, about adjusting on the fly, you know, Pete Golding is not, is sort of outside of the realm of the four, he's the fourth of the four coordinators in this game, but Steve Sarkeesian is is the first. Um, he's the Broyles award winner. So he's the guy running an offense averaging 50 points a game. So if you, if Clark Lee can sort of take Sarkeesian's first counterpunch and maybe even his second in the second quarter, then you know, then I think we've got something. Um, then I think we've got a game that is going to go into the second half and be highly interesting. So that's that I think is probably the most interesting thing to me to to watch on Friday. Yeah, you you have a better Notre Dame has a better offense now than it did in 2018. You have a much better, more same quarterback, but much better, much more experienced, uh, better offensive line, better run game, and as Chip said, you're not facing 2018 Clemson, which is an all time great defense. You're facing look the number two defense of the SEC. They're very good. Almost every one of those guys will be making plays on Sundays, but it's not the the 2012, oh, my God, I can't even, like, breathe on the field with these guys. They're so big and fast and strong and better. Um, they're, they're they're human, um, and Notre Dame's human. So I think, you know, the, the, the awe factor um, disappears a little bit there. It, it, it's – I don't even know if you say slowing down this Alabama offense because no one's even been able to do that. It's containing it 
make it a big game-changing play um, and just not letting them get up on you um, 21 nothing, 28 nothing, or, or, you know, what it's been in the past. Uh, one interesting thing to me, and I, I'm probably reading too much into this. I mean, Notre Dame was plus 1,400 to win it all about a month ago. They're in the playoff right now. They're one of four teams that actually can win it all. They're plus 2,500. <laughs> Jeez. Like that, that makes no sense to me as a guy who's not really good at math, but I'm like, wait a minute. Like there's, there's still a chance. Somehow that chance is worse now. I don't fully understand that. That is bizarre. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't know. Your point was that Alabama does in fact bleed its own blood, uh, but Vegas would indicate that perhaps it does not. Um, you know, one of my other favorite podcasts is solid verbal. I think is described Alabama as like zombie Alabama sometimes. So it's like, they're just this death machine that is, you know, destroying and eating brains on the way to through four quarters like Alabama does feel that way sometimes as if they are like not just upset proof but spread proof um Jeremiah Usu Karamola kind of said that like he got asked about going against this these great players and he's like it's not I'm not going against those guys I'm going against the franchise yeah it's like yeah it's like you got Emperor (laughs) Palpatine over there and Darth Vader and just like Jabba the Hutts around the you know the the new right guard like it's just it feels like you're, yeah, the way that Usu Cormo was describing Alabama made it seem like they're going against the evil empire. Um, well, if Notre Dame had 11 Jeremiah Usu Caramoas on defense, it would be a very like for like matchup. Yes. Yeah. That, that would be, that would be fun to watch. All right. Before we get out of here, because you got to go, predictions. Um, tell me what you got. Uh, line's still 20. Over under is 65, I believe. Yeah, 65 and a half. More public money on Notre Dame right now, but I've got Alabama winning. I've got Notre Dame covering. I've got 38-24. I think Alabama's a better team. They're going to play like it. They're going to beat them. I'm maybe speaking wishful thinking into existence here because I want to see a good game, but I think the the whole big game choking narrative kind of, I won't say goes away because other people will dictate that, but I don't don't think Notre Dame's going to lose this game because they're not up for the, they're, they're overwhelmed by the stage. I think... They'll throw their best punch. Alabama's is better, and you know they have better players, and ultimately that'll be the difference. So I got 38-24 Alabama. Yeah, I'm I'm 42-21 Alabama. I that's a cover. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't think it's going to be because Notre Dame is you know doesn't belong or any of that narrative garbage um, that seemed to get spit out this week. But Alabama is just really freaking good, um, and like Notre Dame is a good team. At times, they can be a great team. Um, Alabama is like a star destroyer at, when they're on their day. So it's, it's. I think it's it's one of those things where what happens when Notre Dame runs into these spots against Clemson 18, Alabama 12, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, Ohio State 15. You're getting a fully invested, more talented, elite coached, fully like, you know, operationally invested from recruiting to nutrition to weight room. Like they have the best of everything. And while you, and to, to sort of pull off that upset, you have to have everything go right. So it's like for Notre Dame to win, you're going to have to have, you know, a Wusu Koromoa pick up a tra- another Travis Etienne style fumble and return it. You know, maybe you're going to have to have a special teams um, touchdown. And like, you know, Notre Dame fans will tell you the 2012 Alabama game, if like, there's a fair catch interference, I think. Um, you know, maybe they're in it then. Or the Clemson game in 2018, Chase Claypool seemed to recover a, 
a, a muffed punt, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to need that play to go their way probably more than once. Um, and, and, you know, and then sort of get through the second quarter. And if that happens, then I think we're onto something. And I'm like you, like my rooting interest in this game is that it's an awesome game. Um, and that I think that's going to take some special things for Notre Dame to, to make that happen. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, the narrative is what it is, and it's not without reason. I mean, six, seven, excuse me, this will be their seventh BCS or New Year's Six Bowl appearance in the BCS era. 0 and 6, outscored by 144 points, none decided by less than 14 points. I got them lose by 14, coincidentally enough, but I that narrative exists for a reason. I, we didn't get the tight Brian Kelly that we got the first time around with Clemson when clearly that was something that was weighing on him um, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get out there. Um, but I also think he thought they could beat – I mean, he, he knew they could beat Clemson. I'm not saying he doesn't – right. I'm not saying he doesn't think they could win, but I think he realizes the magnitude of the challenge that he's up against here. Yeah, I mean, it was like there was a question asked to him this week that involved the – it used the term murdered in it um, <laughs> when it came to, like, stopping Alabama's offense. So it's it's a hell of an ask. I mean, that's that I, that I hope – as you're watching the game and live tweeting it, which I wouldn't recommend for anybody, like keep that in mind. Like Alabama has more raw material. Like they're the team that is starting. There's a reason they have a they're favored by almost three touchdowns. It's like it's the raw material that they have is a huge part of that. So how does Notre Dame overcome that against a, a coaching staff that is also really really good? That's tough. Um, that's why this is such a big ask. But I'm I just I hope that in the fourth quarter. You're sitting there watching the game thinking like, all right, you know, if Notre Dame gets gets a break here, makes a play there, they got a chance to pull what would go down as like one of the all-time, if all-time upset wins in Notre Dame football history. And that, as we've talked about many times in this podcast, the history around Notre Dame is is pretty pretty impressive. 32 and a half point underdog against USC in 08, I think you retweeted from the Bear that game yep. day. I mean, um, this one's the biggest since then. I'm surprised that one was that big, as good as USC was, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, this would be a, an upset of historic proportions, that's for sure. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Shamrock. We will be back on Friday evening um, to help you ring in the new year, hopefully in a uplifting way, uh, following Notre Dame, Alabama. I will be there at AT&T Stadium. Matt, I believe you will be uh, joining us virtually from your couch as usual. Um I think we should probably have a both both have a beverage in hand at that point to, to celebrate the season. Or, or... To yep, preview what comes next in Notre Dame season. While breaking down Ohio State Clemson, which has been a very salty back and forth, by the way. The, yeah. Compared to Notre Dame, Alabama, the, there's a lot more <laughs> drama there. <laughs> exactly. So until Friday evening, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. You've been listening to the latest episode of The Shamrock.